Any birthday singers? Come on, people, we need birthday singers! Happy birthday! That is my birthday. Yes, it is my birthday. There's someone in my house eating my birthday cake, and it's not me. Today is my 100th birthday. Happy birthday. No such thing. It's my birthday, too. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Happy Movie Birthdays, my podcast that celebrates movies on the anniversary of their release. My name is Nathan Ulig, and if you noticed, at the start of this podcast, I said celebrate movies, not celebrate good movies, because, you know, I am a big fan of bad movies. They can be fun to watch and fascinating to learn about. I am also a big Star Trek fan. I have loved Trek uh, ever since my family moved to Vegas in 1997. The Star Trek experience had just opened at the Las Vegas Hilton, and we visited it just because we needed something to do. And it was awesome, and I loved it, and I was hooked ever since. So the movie we will be talking about today is a good mix of those two loves, Star Trek and bad movies. Today, we are wishing... A happy birthday to Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which turns 30 years old today. Is it possible? Fascinating. Are we dreaming? If we are, then life is a dream. Released in the U.S. on June 9th, 1989, Star Trek V is directed by and stars William Shatner, and also stars the usual Trek crew, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, Walter Coing, Nichelle Nichols, George Takai, and also David Warner and Lawrence Luckinbill. Now, The Final Frontier is certainly up there with Nemesis and the motion picture as the more hated of the Star Trek films, uh, and for good reason, because, you know, it ain't that good. Uh, but like I said, I love Star Trek, and I love bad movies, especially big-budget studio tentpole films that just end up crashing and burning. I find those the, the most fascinating kind of bad movies to watch and laugh at. Uh, you will certainly hear about plenty of those kind of movies in the future on my podcast. I love them just so much. Anyway, let's really get into what The Final Frontier is all about. And throughout, I'll hit you up with some uh, fun-filled Final Frontier facts that are pretty interesting. Now, first off, the film is directed by Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner, who had done some theater and TV directing, and after Leonard Nimoy had success directing Star Trek Three and Star Trek Four. Shatner wanted to go. He was actually working on the story during Star Trek IV, but couldn't get the studio to hire the writers he wanted, and then there was a writer's strike, and that's just the first in many bumps in the road for Final Frontier. But don't worry, we'll hit a few more along the way. So the film starts out, we meet Cybok, a Vulcan who can basically brainwash people, not like total zombie-like state, but 
that makes you very susceptible to believing what he believes and following him. From there, we travel to the most exotic vacation spot this side of Riza, Yosemite National Park on Earth. Greetings, Captain. Spock! What are you doing in this neck of the woods? I have been monitoring your progress. I'm flattered. 1,200 points of interest in Yosemite, and you pick me. I regret to inform you that the record for free climbing El Capitan is in no danger of being broken. I'm not trying to break any records. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Not to mention the most important reason for climbing a mountain. And that is? Because it's there. Uh, Captain, I do not think you realize the gravity of your situation. Oh. On the contrary, gravity is foremost on my mind. Look, I'm trying to make an ascent here. Why don't you go pester Dr. McCoy for a while? I believe that Dr. McCoy is not in the best of moods. God damn irresponsible. Playing games with life. Concentration is vital. You must be one with the rock. Spock, I appreciate your concern, but if you don't stop distracting me, I'm liable to be one... Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, our main trio of heroes, are on vacation, almost killing themselves. Uh, well, Kirk's the only one that, you know, kind of does that. We get our first horrible special effects shot of Kirk falling off a cliff and Spock uh, flying in to save him. Now, Industrial Light and Magic, probably the most famous special effects house ever, uh, had done the special effects on the last two or three Star Trek films, and they all looked amazing, but they were a bit too busy at this time, working on uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and Ghostbusters 2, and Batman, so they had to go a bit cheaper with the effects, and boy does it show. Uh, not only were they using a lot of rear screen projection, which looks okay when you've got like the view screen on the bridge, but with everything else, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Some of the really big effect shots were held over from Star Trek IV, which happens a lot in Hollywood. It even happens in other Star Trek movies. I don't, you know, tried it for that. you got a franchise, you've got special effects. It already said it helps you save money. That's totally fine. But they also ended up using certain effect shots in the final film that were originally meant just as placeholders until the real shot was finished and ready to put in. And we'll get into more special effects troubles later on, don't worry. So, everyone's shore leave gets cut short by Starfleet Command. Cybok and his cult gang have taken over the planet of universal peace where Starfleet, Klingon, and Romulan ambassadors were meeting and now being held hostage. The Enterprise is sent on a rescue mission even though the ship is in complete disarray. This is a running gag. Uh, throughout the movie that this brand new Starship Enterprise has tons of bugs and glitches uh, that are still being worked out. Uh, but hey, Kirk is a G, and he is the only one who can get the job done. So they head to the planet for the rescue mission. Everything seems to be going swimmingly. They're even able to the Trojan horse their way into the compound by capturing some cultists, by having Uhura distract them with some sexy moonlight dancing. Okay. Spock, hold your horse, Captain. I'm scanning. The hostages 
being held in that structure. Galileo, this is Strike Team. Start your run. Phaser's on stun. Get rid of the mouse. Sudo, take out that mic. But to their surprise, the very ambassadors that were there to rescue have joined Cybok. Oh no, it was a trap. And to make things worse, a Klingon ship has come to rescue the Klingon ambassador. They also want to kill Kirk because he's awesome. Oh no. So they make a daring escape back to the Enterprise. Spock has a chance to kill Cybok, but doesn't. Pick it up. Cybok. You must surrender. No! You must kill me. Shoot him! For a moment, I thought you might actually do it. Turns out that Cybok is Spock's half-brother, who has abandoned the Vulcan culture of uber-logic and has become obsessed with his search for the god of the universe called Shakari, originally named after the actor William Shatner wanted to play him, Sean Connery. I did not make that up. <laughs> so, Cybok is taking over the ship, brainwashing the crew, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are trying to escape with the help of Scotty, getting a message out to Starfleet, but that's intercepted by the Klingons. There's a lot of stuff going on. Most of it, not very good. But this does lead us to probably the best scene in the movie where Cybok finally confronts our trio of heroes and tries to brainwash them. Now, his whole thing through the movie is helping people let go of their pain. That's what he keeps saying to people, you know, show me your pain, we all have a pain, let me help you let it go, stuff like that. And we finally get to see exactly what he's doing to people, you know, he makes them see visions, he shows McCoy his father's death, he shows Spock how his father cannot truly love him because he's half-human, and you think he's going to show Kirk his son dying, uh, or, well, that's a spoiler alert, uh, Kirk's son dies in Star Trek Three by the Klingons. I probably should have mentioned that. Sorry. Uh, but Kirk won't let him, and he gives this great little speech about how he doesn't want his pain taken away from him. What have you done to my friends? I've done nothing. This is who they are. Didn't you know that? No, I didn't. Now learn something about yourself. No. I refuse. Jim, try to be open about this. About what? I've made the wrong choices in my life. Have I turned left when I should have turned right? I know what my weaknesses are. I don't need Cyborg to take me on a tour of them. If you just unbend at all... And be brainwashed by this con man! I was wrong. This con man took away my pain. Damn it, Bones, you're a doctor. You know that pain and guilt can't be taken away with a wave of a magic wand. They're the things we carry with us, the things that make us who we are. If we lose them, we lose ourselves. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain! Now then, once all this happens, uh, they reach their destination where God supposedly is just a big blue marble of a planet in the 
middle of the galaxy. Uh, now, if I if I had access to space travel, you know, it's very convenient, very fast space travel. I can go wherever I want. And I was on a mission to find God, and I believed he resided somewhere in the galaxy. My first checkpoint would be to look in the center of the galaxy. And apparently it took Cybok decades to find out this information. Like, no, that would be my first stop. If that's what I believed, center of the galaxy would be point number one to check out. But, I don't know, whatever, that's just me. So they get there, and Kirk decides to help out for whatever reason. I don't know. I guess he just really doesn't have much else to do. So Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Cybok head down to the planet surface, which is basically middle of nowhere, Southern California. Very, very original series Star Trek kind of stuff, uh, which is fine for television in the 1960s. Not so much for a theatrical summer movie release in the 1980s. So, they're walking, they're walking, and they're, they keep on walking, they're walking a bunch, and eventually they come to a spot where God appears, a big blue face talking to them, and it looks terrible. It is I. It was not. The barrier stood between us, but we breached it. You are the first to find me. We sought only your infinite wisdom. And how did you breach the barrier? With a starship. This starship? Could it carry my wisdom beyond the barrier? It could, yes. Then I shall make use of this starship. It will be your chariot! Excuse me. It will carry my power to every corner of creation. Excuse me, I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? Bring the ship closer. I said, what does God need with a starship? Jim, what are you doing? I'm asking you a question. Now, here's where things get interesting. Uh, not in the movie, that stuff's awful, but behind the scenes. The original ending to Final Frontier was supposed to be pretty different than what we got. What we got was this god thing wasn't a god at all. He was just this celestial being that's trapped in this planet and wants to escape. But they stop him, of course, and it flies around, chasing Kirk for a bit, shooting eye lasers at him until the Klingons show back up and destroy it, saving Kirk and all this crap. It's weird. It's dumb. It's not put together very well. But there is a strong reason for that. In some early versions, the celestial being thing turned out to actually be God instead of just a phony. That's pretty interesting. But the biggest change, though, was this being was going to manifest an army of rock monster creatures to chase down Kirk and try to kill him. Sounds pretty cool. Some of the concept art is is really neat. However, the production had gone through a lot of money and could only afford a single rock monster. But hey, again, 1960s, very Star Trek. Theatrical 80s summer movie? Kind of embarrassing. The footage was deemed just practically unusable and the studio wouldn't give them enough money 
for reshoots, so they had to just kind of piece together an ending with the footage they had and cheapo special effects. I guess you can actually kind of see the rock monster for a few frames in one shot. Just, well, and there's, you know, just this nugget of a great idea in there somewhere. It just simply never gets truly fleshed out the way it deserves. And that's really the whole movie in a nutshell. There's a lot of stuff in here, the basic ideas and stuff that I really like. I like the idea of searching the galaxy for God or the creator of the universe. I like the idea of Spock having the half-brother who's Vulcan and has abandoned logic. I like the idea of the Enterprise being full of bugs and glitches that they have to think on their feet along the way. I like the idea of a cult converting the crew and taking over the Enterprise for their own purposes. I think this would have made a pretty darn good episode of the original series, kind of like Star Trek Insurrection, which is a later Star Trek movie that's not well-loved, would have made a pretty good one- or two-part episode of The Next Generation. But when you take these and you stretch them out to a feature length and you add on all the production woes they had going throughout the thing, you just end up with The Final Frontier, which is ultimately a bad yet kind of fascinating movie. You know, if you listen to my last episode about Ghostbusters, I mentioned how, for years, I had only seen Ghostbusters recorded off of television, and, you know, a bunch of lines and scenes changed that I never realized, and years later, when I finally saw the real version, I was surprised how different it was. Kind of the same thing happened with this one. I had Star Trek V recorded off television, which is what I would watch, and, you know, I would think... Hey, this isn't that bad. It's all right. It's fine. P people, they're just complaining too much. I, I don't get it. Well, when I had finally got the 10-film super special edition Star Trek DVD collection and stuff, I started seeing the full version. There were a lot of just flat-out useless scenes cut for time for TV and it really kind of made a difference, <laughs> mostly like comedy scenes like Sulu and Chekhov lost in the woods or Scotty trying to fix the Enterprise. There's an entire romantic subplot between Scotty and Uhura, which is completely cut out, which certainly helps. Just really pointless scenes in an already not very good movie. And it really shows how proper editing can help your film. Now, don't get me wrong, it certainly doesn't help it enough, but still, it makes a difference. Cosmic thoughts, gentlemen. We were speculating. Is God really out there? Maybe he's not out there, Bones. Maybe he's right here. Human heart. I was thinking of Sabok. I've lost a brother. Yes. I lost a brother once. I was lucky I got him back. I thought you said men like us don't have families. I was wrong. And yeah, I think that is just about all I can milk out of this 
proverbial movie teat. Uh, and I don't know why I made that analogy. That was terrible. I'm, I'll never do that again. I promise. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you hear me again soon. And let's all wish a happy movie birthday to Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. This has been Happy Movie Birthdays, and I have been your host, Nathan Ulig. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, feel free to email me at happymoviebirthdays at gmail.com. <laughs>